Super Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen. We only have one show for you this week, so we're going to make sure this one is extra special and it hits extra hard. My Thursday guest had an issue and had to cancel, and nobody else filled, filled the slot. So I might come on and do do a quick 15-minute 15, 15 thing. I don't know. I'll pick a topic, and I'll wow you guys for that 15 minutes. So if you're brand new to the show, we're all about overcoming obstacles. We're about defying the odds, helping you clear the path to whatever's blocking you from what you really want to get out of life. This is episode number 251, and we're going to be talking about how to reclaim your power after trauma. So now that can go a very, very wide range because there's a whole lot of traumas out there. But if you listen to the show regularly, you know I always say it's not about what happened. It's about how you bounce back from it. So that's where all the different traumas, they they can all, they're all relatable. You know, yeah, there's different levels, but they're all relatable. And so that's the point of this show is to help you, whatever you have inside that's holding you back is to help you, to give you the inspiration to just tackle it head on, turn it into a powerful message and just start sharing it. Because you'll be surprised what doors are going to open when you do that. So helping me have the the conversation is the badass grandma herself. Please welcome CJ Scarlett. Hello, Robert. How are you doing today? I am great. How are you? Excellent. First and foremost, thank you for taking the time to come and share with the audience. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oops, I lost the life. There it is. I, I keep the, the live stream on my phone just in case, in case I get questions or stuff. All right. So where are you joining me from? Clayton, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. Okay. That's the uh, eastern side, right? Eastern side. Very right. Yeah. You've been gotcha. here. Because I like the western side. I'm, I'm a mountain man. Oh, yeah, I like the beach and the mountain, so I'm right in the middle. It's perfect. I'm two hours away from both. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. I um, I went to Asheville in 2021, and I'm hopefully going again in three more weeks because I just love that. I love that area. It's really, really nice. More so, like maybe thirty minutes south of Asheville. That's where I really, I really like. I'm not a city guy, but I like right outside the city. It'll be beautiful this time of year. Yes, I bet. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right, so let's let's dive in. Let's dive into your background. But but first, I want to know a little bit about you. So, at your core, how would you describe yourself? At my core, how would I describe myself? I am passionate and about my work. I am passionate about my family, my grandkids, who are my greatest joy in the whole wide world. Mm -hmm. And I'm passionate about making the planet a better place. And I know that the only way I can do that is to make me a better person. I believe that world peace begins with inner peace. Oh, agreed. Where does that passion come from? Um, personal experience. I, I was um, molested as a child and then I was raped twice as a teenager oh. and I had full-blown PTSD and it haunted me for decades. Yeah. And um, I'll tell you the story probably a little bit later in the broadcast, but when I finally took my power back, I became determined to do whatever I could to keep others from being victimized as well or to help them along their, their healing journey. Okay. So I'm passionate for personal reasons, but uh, I extend that to others because that I think I have a, a, you know, if I have the ability, I have the responsibility to to do that. Are you comfortable talking about about the PTSD? Yes, very. Okay, because you know a lot a lot of people keep themselves in a bubble when people suffer trauma like that, Mm -hmm. and so how how long 
did, did you keep yourself in that bubble and how were you able to break free from it? I was 29 years old. Yeah, I was 29 years old and I was sitting in a meeting at, I was working at United Way in, in Hampton Roads, Virginia at that time, or in, in Norfolk, Virginia. And I was around a table with all the city leaders and suddenly I burst into tears and I had no idea why, but I fled to the bathroom and I sobbed for two hours. My coworkers tried to get me to tell them what was wrong and I couldn't tell them because I didn't know. Mm. I just knew that I could not stop crying. And so I took a week off and ran away to Connecticut with a notebook, my first journal, mm. and tried to figure out what was going on. And all the things that I had been suppressing for those you know, previous 29 years just came flooding back onto the pages. It was like every single incident that had ever occurred to me just was like, like a big hairball just yeah. came up. And I, my brain could not, could not uh, contain it anymore. The pain was greater than my ability to contain it. And wow. it's interesting because within a week after I got the memories, you know, I always had the memories, but I had really, you know, kept down, trying to like hold a beach ball underwater. You can't really do it very well. <laughs> yes. Um, but within a week of, of going to Connecticut, I was also diagnosed with lupus and scleroderma, which are two autoimmune diseases. Mm. So it's like my body was saying, you deal with this or we stop. Because, you know, disease is like the, the soul screaming through the body. Like and um, so everything stopped until I started getting into therapy and started working on myself. And if you told me I'd still be in therapy 30 years later, I would have told you you were crazy. Wait a second, 90? <laughs> wow, 30 years later. <laughs> I was still in therapy on occasion for one thing or another, but um, because it works. Yes. Yeah. See, and I always say, too, with, you know, things like depression, PTSD, it's like th those aren't things that go away. You know, those are things that, that you, you just have to be consciously aware of and you manage it. Like I'm dealing with that with my with my two old, older kids now with um, depression from their their mom pretty much abandoning them. Oh, and I, see, and I keep hard. Yes. See, and going back to what I was saying about this different levels of trauma, there's different levels of PTSD. But how you pick up the pieces, it's very similar. Cause like, you know, they're they're both in in counseling now. My my daughter journals, you know, she speaks with a therapist once a week. And, you know, like this, it, I always say pain is pain. Mm -hmm. You know, I've it's said that I'm probably really like the last six, six or seven episodes, but pain is pain. And so in, in getting up and sharing your pain, you're gonna find there's similarities with how other people bounce back from their pain. You know, so like, like you don't just have to join other people who have been sexually abused. You know, it's like I can mm -hmm. sit here and, and tell you a story of very similar to you, but it had to do with work. Mm -hmm. Like I was just in an unfulfilled place. I really think I had an early midlife crisis, but I was just in an unfulfilled place. I was driving down to the restaurant. I just pulled off to the side of the road and started bawling. I had like a full blown panic attack. Because it's like, mm -hmm. I just knew I wasn't in my purpose. Mm -hmm. Know what I mean? So like, it's something yeah. completely different, but the body reaction was the same. Yeah, the body leaves clues. I mean, PTSD yes. leaves clues and the body will pick it up. And, and that's where so much disease, so many people have autoimmune conditions and, and, yes. and anxiety and depression and stress. And it comes from not being, living your authentic life. It's because yes. you're swallowing something and your body has to carry that toxic, toxicity. Yep. And it can't without expressing itself. It's true. And also what you surround yourself with, because so many people have their faces in their phones. Mm -hmm. And what are the things that get the most likes and the most shares? It's all, yeah. the, it's all the negative stuff. 
you know, yeah, exactly. That's, what, that's what's all over the news. So you have your own drama and then you're looking at other people's drama. So you're in a constant state of drama. Yeah. You're consuming you know? other people's pain along with yours. And it's yes. just, it's too much. You have to step back from it and take time. First of all, I want to say I'm your kids are so lucky to have a dad that, that has got them in counseling and getting them the help that they need. Thank you. Because uh, I think it was um, Frederick Douglass who said, it's better to repair. It's better to, oh gosh, I'm going to mess this up now. I know the quote. Yeah, know the you, know, quote you know the quote. Can you say it? Yeah, it's, 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 better, it's better to, to Raise heal. Raise strong children than yeah. to repair broken men. Yes, that. Yes. <laughs> children, when, when, when children are traumatized one way or another, if they carry that PTSD, it becomes their way of functioning. Yes. For me, dissociation was my main coping skill. I would dissociate. I would leave my body and just become so numb to what was happening around me. The problem was it, I didn't just do that when, when, it, when trauma was happening. I was doing it all the time. Yes. And so I missed out on a lot of my life. And I was wondering why I couldn't feel my heart. You know, and it was because I wasn't, I was so disconnected from my own body, my own heart because of the post-traumatic stress. Yes. So you, you start counseling, you start journaling. What were your next steps to, to moving forward? Um, I was a single mom at that time, which was really tough because my sons, you know, they were only uh, three and five at the time, three and six at the time. And um, I quit my work at United Way. And I got back into school. I had never finished my, my bachelor's degree. So I got back into school. So I was dealing with, I was going to school full time, raising two kids on my own with no family help wow. and was dealing with this serious auto, these serious autoimmune conditions. So I was sick a lot. And if you told me today that I had to go back and do all that, I would tell you you're crazy because it was just so much to handle. Yes. But I struggled my way through the counseling, through the therapy and kept getting better and better by day. I remember one day I was walking somewhere and I just felt this, this sudden sense of something. I didn't know what it was. And I was like, what am I feeling? And I realized it was contentment. Mm. I had so little contentment in my life that when the feeling came, I didn't know what it was at first. Yeah. And I began to build on that. The problem was, um, you know, I was sick on and off over the years and I was able to go back to work in 95. I, uh, I took over as or 94. I took over as executive director of a child advocacy center for abused kids. And that was really, really important work. And what was the best part about it is you would see these poor traumatized children coming through your doors. But six months later, they would leave healed because once they were told it wasn't their fault, once they were validated and they were removed from the situation where they were harmed. Yeah. Kids, kids are so resilient. And so yes. it was very rewarding work. And then I became the director of victims issues for the North Carolina attorney general's office, where I work with domestic violence centers, rape crisis centers, and, um, and child advocacy centers. Wonderful job. But I left the attorney general's office in 98 to become an entrepreneur. And unfortunately, I, I started this big company, this big internet company right before the big Internet bust, mm. bubble burst. Yep. <laughs> but I became ill from the lupus. It, it, it just jumped me again. And I became so debilitated and disabled that I could not have lifted this cup. I couldn't turn a doorknob. I had to go up and down the stairs on my hands and knees. I was on okay. massive doses of steroids. And so my weight ballooned to 240 pounds. And I was I was miserable. And I looked like an old lady on her last legs. Let me put let me pause you right there. Sure. All right, let me try to say. 
look like a miserable old lady. Let me write that down. <laughs> so, so we can we can pick back up there. Now, because you had mentioned in 1998, you decided to leave and become an entrepreneur. So I know there's, there's a lot of people right now that are in a career that they can't stand. Mm-hmm. And they have an idea or they have something else that they wish they could be doing, but they're just deathly afraid or just don't know how to take that first step. So can you just take me through how, how you made that decision and then ultimately followed through with it? Absolutely. Well, I love my work at the attorney general's office and I accomplish a lot and help thousands of victims in the process. I, I, I'm an idea person and I am constantly getting ideas from the cosmic consciousness. <laughs> and um, I got one, one night to start uh, because I was disabled uh, myself I didn't, and I didn't know what products there were out there for me. I started thinking, well, a lot of people must not know what products are out there. So I was getting ready to go on a, to speak it in a, to do a speaking engagement in Manchester, England. And I asked my doctor if they made walkers with wheels. And she said, I don't know, see if you can find one. Here's a prescription. And I found not only that, but a whole host of products. And I thought, this is, this is fantastic, but nobody knows about these things. Mm. So I wanted to start, I I got this idea and it burned in me so much that I knew I had to do something with it. And so I quit my job and I started this company called Healing Tree that was going to have a database for people with disabilities. You could, you could look up um, products by uh, body part, disability or function. So if your mother broke her hip, for example, you could put in hip replacement or kitchen and you would come up with a whole list of products, 10 things you could use in the kitchen to make her life easier and less painful things for her car to help her, things in the bathroom, walkers, breachers, all these different products. Mm. And we were well on our way to starting the company when the lupus just jumped me and I had to close the company and it broke my heart. Uh, Yeah. Being an entrepreneur mm. is the coolest thing. I mean, I'm still an entrepreneur. I've actually, I've been an entrepreneur so long. I've gone feral and I could never go back. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned earlier about reclaiming your power. So since I named the show How to Reclaim Your Power After Trauma, let's talk about how you made that happen. It was an internal thing. It was a shift in consciousness. It was a shift in perspective where I where I thought I can I didn't realize how much I was a victim that I thought like a victim and acted like a victim. If you had told me I had victim mentality, I would have been furious with you. Mm. But I had this awareness that I was very much a victim in my mind. And I, I'm such a powerful, I mean, I had been in the United States Marine Corps as a photojournalist. I had been a firefighter with the Forest Service. I didn't want to be a victim and come across as a victim. I want to come across yes. as a formidable woman. Yeah. And so I kind of pulled myself up by the bootstraps and thought, okay, I can either believe that life is happening to me and I have no control over it, or I can take control over my own damn life. Yeah. And when I did, there was this shift. There was this pivot. There was this click inside that put me back from the back seat of the bus to the front seat of the the car where I was in full control. All right. Let me jump in again. Just because I want to I want to focus on that word victim for a second, because people get so triggered by that word, you know, because it's kind of like the word vulnerable. People associate mm-hmm. vulnerable with just you're weak, you're, gonna, you're a crybaby or whatever else. And those are two very powerful, powerful words, because when you have that victim mentality, it, it stops you from moving forward. You know, it, it stops does. it stops you from from healing and actually feeling what the trauma did to you. 
because you're keeping yourself in that perpetual state of hurt slash pain. And, and stepping out from that mentality is where everything can change. Because I always tell people when you're in the fire, you can't see the fire. Mm-hmm. The only way to see the fire is you have to step out of it. You know, so once you step out of it, then you can see the scope of what you were actually doing to yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, you know what? It really wasn't this. It wasn't. It was me. And that's the biggest shift that people can take in moving forward from these traumatic experiences. I'd that is that- so profound. That is so profound what you just said, Robert. Thank you. Um, I, I use the analogy of drowning when you are in the middle of drowning. Mm. You can't think about anything else. That's true. Just and if breathing. you stay in this perpetual state of drowning and you're pulling people down with you, and whether you know it or not, if you're in that state, you are pulling people down with you. Yes. Um, you are stuck in victim mode. And and when that shift occurred, I went from being a victim to a survivor. Yes. And then one day, I'll tell you about later, mm. I shifted from being a survivor to a thriver. Mm. I don't even, I feel like, no, I'll, I'll get to that later. <laughs> no, go ahead. You can jump in. Well, I don't. I, I've I've come so far in my healing journey that I'm going to tell you about in a minute that I don't even feel like those things happen to me anymore. I feel so. I feel like I feel so much compassion for my child self, the, the poor young girl that made that was had these terrible things happen to her, and and who made her own tragic choices that led to even more trauma. Yeah. And I've done so much healing work that I feel like I've healed all my ancestors in the process. I like that. See, and I always say we owe it. We owe it to our ancestors to not be a victim. Yes. You know, we owe it to them. Yeah. You know, well, like It's a miracle we're even here, if you think about yes. it. All the people on the planet that we're here. Yeah, because I always tell, tell tell people, I don't owe anyone anything. But it's, it's true. Like, those people who actually suffered worse than what we did, mm-hmm. we owe it to them to not let this life break us. That's and, right. And that's what it boils down to. Like, that's why the show is called what, what it's called. It's like, yeah. shut up and grind. It's like, th- it doesn't matter what happened to you. It doesn't matter if you grew up poor, if you grew up rich, if you grew up without your parents. Like, like it doesn't, doesn't really matter what it is. What are you going to do with that info? That's right. <laughs> that, that's what matters. It's mm-hmm. like, I can take all the traumas I've gone through. And I've been on both sides of trauma. Because I'm, I'm sure there's an ex out there somewhere that, that, that would say I hurt her. You know, so it's like I have to deal with that realization as well that, you know, I could have been a better person for her, a better man for her, so on and so forth. But it's like to to get here on a public forum and just admit that like it's powerful because once you face it, it can't hurt you anymore. One of the hardest days of my life was probably in 1995. And I took my first really good look in the mirror. It was a figurative mirror. It wasn't a literal mirror, but I've looked at my own behavior over the years. And this is when the the real shift occurred. Um, And I saw how my actions intentionally and unintentionally hurt other people. Yes. And I owned up to it. And I decided to make amends. We spend so much of our time, we have a junk drawer in our head. And just like a junk drawer in your house is full of old stamps and, and sticky pennies and paper <laughs> yep. and crap like that. <laughs> Soy sauce and, from the Chinese food. Yes, and sauce from the Chinese food. Exactly, exactly. I've got probably a dozen of those in my drawer. But we, take the, we pick through the junk drawer of our mind and we push the things we don't like to the back, the things we don't like about ourselves to the back that don't look yep. good. And we pull out the things that make us look and feel good. And that's what we present to the world. In yes. the meantime, that junk drawer crap is still there. Yep. And I went through that junk drawer with a fine tooth comb and I saw things and, and had to come to terms with things that I was so ashamed of. 
that I so regretted. But it was probably the most amazing work I've ever done because unless, unless you are willing to do that, you cannot become a fully actualized human being. Agreed. Yeah. See, and, and, even as a, and even as a speaker, sharing those stories, mm -hmm. you know, because like when, whenever you take action, you unconsciously give other people permission to take action. Exactly. Because you know, everybody is so afraid of judgment. And, and like, vulnerability is there again. You have to be vulnerable yes. enough to say, I made mistakes in my life. I made very poor choices that led to harm to other people. Yes. And those are the people that get it. Yeah. The ones that can own up to that are the ones that get it. Yeah. And, and you have to realize that we are just one of billions of people, right? Not everyone's going to like you. Not mm -hmm. no, people are going to click, click on my show and click off. It is what it is, you know? So I finally come to the realization that, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> and that's okay. It really is. It's okay. It's like I watch some people that I just can't stand them as a presenter, but their content still sucks me in. <laughs> you know, because like not everybody is is extroverted. Like, like there's this one guy, his voice is so monotone and he just drinks <laughs> it. But but his content is good enough for me to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so just the, the point is, it's like, you're not going to be a hundred percent everything to everyone. Yeah, we're heroes to some and monsters to others. Every one yeah. of us, we think, we, we think our friend, you know, our friends like and love us, but there are people out there who the reason telepathy doesn't, it, we can prove telepathy is not real and telekinesis and all that other stuff is that everybody would be dead. You know, there's always something <laughs> that just drop off the face of the earth. There's somebody that wishes terrible things would happen to us because that's they're so, so angry true. with us. That's so right. <laughs> and you just got to accept that. That's true. We've hurt people and what, intentionally or unintentionally. And I'm going to put that in unintentionally part in there because a lot of the stuff we do is unintentional, thoughtless yes. things that we do. But um, the, the things we do intentionally, you've got to own up to that. Yes. Yeah. And like a conversation I was just having with my daughter you know, like about, about your, your personal feelings, you know, cause she's, she's 20, you know, so she's, you know, just mm -hmm. coming into discovering herself and all that stuff. And I keep telling her, I said, the, the number one thing you have to do is you got to safeguard your feelings. You got to safeguard mm -hmm. it. Like you're in control of what bothers you. Mm -hmm. It's like, you really are. You're in control of what bothers you. Like people say things to me and it bounces right off. You know, it's like, I don't let that bother me because this show is all about motivation and inspiration. I have another one that I do that that's a debate show. <laughs> and you know, debate you have shows skin. <laughs> it's like, you know, debate shows can get ugly. But but uh, you know, and when people disagree, they start slinging insults. Yeah. And and oh. I just I just sift through, no no no, stay on topic. You know, like uh, address what I said. Don't talk about my education or my this or my that. Answer mm -hmm. my question. <laughs> you know, it's so, very just, timely because the word there's people have just it's like a Pandora's box opened up over the last several years that just yeah. makes that that actually almost glorifies the worst of ourselves. Yeah. It's a caricature of who we are and it's ugly. It's ugly, ugly. Yeah. And everybody feels like they've got permission to be trolls on everybody else, especially yeah. online. I mean, my God, it's just the things people will, people will do things, say things online. They would never say to a person's face. They could exactly. be the nicest person in the world, but they can get online and just get. So I tell you what, I consider myself a nice, kind person, but I get on Facebook and sometimes I have to go delete, 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 because I start <laughs> typing something in response to somebody's post. And yes. I can't say that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to be that person. Yes. It's like I use, I use my Twitter account 
for my debate account. All of my mm-hmm. other online online platforms, they're all motivational, educational stuff. But Twitter, I let the horns come out a little. But but even but even when I'm debating someone, I keep it respectful. Yeah. You know, even though people try to throw jabs at, at me and stuff, I'm like, okay, all that being said, please answer my question. <laughs> I just leave it at that. Because yeah. help because if 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 we create a society where we can't ask questions, mm-hmm. this is actually gonna make people's trauma and PTSD worse. Yes. Because <laughs> they're gonna be even more afraid to speak out because people are so damn judgmental. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being provocative. It's just when it when it devolves to hate and invective yes. and and viciousness. Yes. And unfortunately, and that, that's, that's, right that's the stuff that gets the engagement, though. Yep. <laughs> unfortunately. We really have to police ourselves to make mm-hmm. sure that we're not. I, I view life as like this river of consciousness. Yes. And just like a regular river, people can throw cigarette butts and old tires and trash and mm. styrofoam cups and stuff like that that pollute the river. The same thing happens with the river of consciousness. Yes. We start saying you're a horrible person or you didn't vote like I did or the you know the riots were not an insurrection or whatever you want to say. And that's like throwing mental garbage into the river of consciousness. We are polluting it with our thoughts. Yes. And we really have to police our thoughts to make sure that we're not, you know, I, I might have a little teeny bad thought. Well, that's a cigarette butt. I may have a really big bad thought, big bad thought. And that's that's an old car that I'm throwing to the river of consciousness that's going to stay there and pollute the whole dang thing. Yeah, very true. That, that's a great that's a great analogy. And going back to what you were saying about the mental garbage, like as I help people create stories, like I actually have a call at three. I'm going to help help a guy piece his story together. And it's that messy stuff that makes the story compelling. Yes. Like if, if we just got up here and just spoke about all the best parts of ourselves, like most people do on their online profiles, you know, they just talk about the best. Yep. It's like actually put something up there that almost broke you, you know, put something yes. up there that, that could it's get real. people talking. Exactly. Like that's real life. It's, it's almost like a movie. Like if the movie was just all the heroes winning, no, half of the movie, the heroes are getting their ass kicked for the yeah. first hour and a half. <laughs> and, right. and then in the last half an hour, they come back and they triumph. And that's all of our lives to every one of us. I mean, I got skeletons in my, my closet. I have things I'm not proud of. I have things that happened to me. I had bad injuries I wasn't supposed to come back from. You know, it's like there's so much. So when I get up on the stage, whether it's live or virtual, I have a lot of stuff to share. And mm-hmm. I take people on a journey through my life. Like, I don't just yes. talk about the highs. You got to go high. Then I hit this low. Then I battled back and I had surgery again. Then I battled back and I got divorced. You know, like this, it's always something. But people have to not be afraid to go deep into that, the messy parts of, of the brain. Yeah, because it gives other people permission to do the same. Yes. It resonates with them. You know, you as a speaker would resonate with me in a way that would make me go, oh, my God, I hear your message and I relate to that. And I'm going to make my, make changes in my life. I might hear another person say a similar thing, but the story doesn't hit me the same way. So yes. there's a, one of my favorite quotes. And I, and this is a pair of paraphrase of the quote is um, how silent the woods would be if only the best birds sang. Mm. People are afraid to tell their stories because they're like, well, who am I? I I'm not a professional speaker. I'm not a member of the National Speakers Association. I've never done this or I don't have a degree or whatever they say. The world needs everyone's voice. 
And I'm not three of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped out of college. Yeah. I, I'm not part of any speaker association. I mean, I do yeah. I do have professional training as a as a speaker, but but it's like, and um, I mentioned on my last couple of shows too. I got told by a speaker coach I would never be taken seriously if I show up in a tank top. <laughs> well, you're a fitness instructor. That, that's your 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 brand. <laughs> exactly. Now, if I did as a badass grandma, that'd be something different. But I mean, that fits your brand. Well, well, that too, and it's about the power of the message. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I've spoken in schools, I've spoken at business events, I spoke at a world conference in Vegas, and not one person was like, "Who's this guy in the tank top?" Like by the time I got off the stage, the standing ovation. Like, and not yeah. one person cared about how I was dressed. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, my message is going to outweigh my appearance. People are so hungry for signs. They want yeah. signs from the universe, from God, whatever you want to call it that say they're going to be okay. Yes. And when people have the courage to share their pain, their stories in a vulnerable way and make it and share the journey they've been on, there are little bits in there for everyone. They leave crumbs like Hansel yes. and Gretel. Those yep. are signs for people that say, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. See, he made it. I can make it. Yes. See, and you said it earlier too. And the beauty of storytelling is when people see themselves within your story mm-hmm. that's that's how you know you really pulled them in and that was yep. where I shifted from just speaking because like as a manager you know you get in front of your group and you just spit facts <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like like you really weren't instructed to motivate these people although I'm trying to shift that narrative now speaking to to, to corporations but back then that was all I knew so mm-hmm. when I first got into speaking that's what I was doing I was speaking at people and then you know I got some some professional training through Eric Thomas's group. I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar with him, but he's a dynamic speaker. And one of his videos is called UOU. And he actually just released a book with the same name. But like, I listened to that video and I was bawling. I was like, he just like pierced my soul. Like it was like one of the biggest, most powerful self accountability videos that I've, I've heard, you know? And I'm I was like, that. I was like, this dude just like literally touched my soul, <laughs> you yeah. know. And Some I was like, grab into I... your chest and pull your heart out and hold it in front of you, <laughs> beating heart and say, "Is this what you want? Is this what you want?" Yes, he's like, "How you bad know, you want it?" Yeah, he's like, "You know, you're pointing fingers at everybody else." He's like, "What about you?" You know, he's like, yeah. "Are you are you getting up on time? Are you doing what's necessary? Are you stay mm-hmm. are, are you staying up working on your craft?" And he just went right down the list. I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn it, I'm not. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so let's talk about a bunch of books here. Okay. Well, can I finish my story real quick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so in 2002, I, when I was so debilitated and so heavy, uh, the doctors told me my heart was failing and that I was going to die at any time. Oh. And I tell you what, I was petrified. Mm, I dove into a deep depression and I curled up in a ball in my bed and I waited to die because I, oh my God, I was so terrified. And then I got the chance to meet privately with a Tibetan Buddhist Lama for advice. Mm. I had been studying Buddhism for a while and I sat, I went up to the the Lama's house and I made a pitiful bow. I had him with my cane. I made a pitiful bow and I burst into tears and I, I poured out my tale of woe and I waited for him to shower me with much deserved sympathy. And instead he gave me a cosmic bitch slap. And I learned that llamas don't do dramas because he said <laughs> kindly, but sternly stop feeling sorry for yourself and start thinking about the happiness of other people. And I was like, 
I can't take care of myself. How can I possibly think about other people? But he insisted, stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about the happiness of other people. So I'm driving home from his house and I'm thinking, what can I possibly do in my debilitated state when an ambulance flew by with a siren blaring? And I, I made a quick wish that the person inside would find help and healing. And I thought, well, that was easy. I can do that. So I started letting, letting other drivers go in front of me, you know, pulled in in front of me and started wishing them love as I was driving down the road. And in traffic jams, I would just breathe in and breathe out and wish that their frustration would go away. And in the process, mine would go away. And I started letting the little old lady go ahead of me in line at the grocery store and little things that I could do that didn't cost anything or in terms of time or money or effort. And I felt a little happier. So I decided to make it a daily practice to do at least one act of kindness every single day. And I let a, a, uh, gave my cane to a woman who was struggling to walk. I left inspirational notes on the driver's side door at the cancer center and in books at the library. You know, again, people are looking for signs. And when you open a book and a note falls out with an inspirational note, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is for me. Yeah. Um, little things like that. And I volunteered at the Red Cross after Hurricane Katrina doing database work. And I felt happier because what had happened, I had become so consumed by my own suffering that I forgot that everyone's fighting a hard battle. I forgot that everyone is suffering in some way or has suffered in some way. And doing these acts of kindness um, reconnected me to my own humanity and to humanity at large. And it, I went, I reached a point where I was so happy that it didn't matter whether I was sick or well, or even living or dying. I was just content. And at that point, my condition went into remission all within 18 months after I started doing these acts of kindness. That's awesome. Today, 20 years later, after they told me I was going to die any day, I feel better than I felt in the last 30 years. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and you know, go, going back to what I was saying earlier about how stories can be relatable, you know, with my knee injury. It's like I wasn't told I was g- going to die, but as an athlete, as a very active person and a fitness coach, I was told That's I was a ne- little death. Yeah, I was told I was never going to run or jump again. And oh, like wow. that, you pretty much basically told me you're going to die any day. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I am very, like, even now, like, I can't sit, sit still. Like, I'm sitting here off camera, twiddling, twiddling my thing. My legs are shaking. It's like, I cannot sit still for the life of me. So, but I did the same thing. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, the story that, is not that's open. not how this is going to end. Like, I'm that's in control right. of how this ends. You know, like, I yeah. am. And then same thing. I just started taking daily steps, daily steps, daily steps. And I never thought about you might not run or jump again. I thought about I'm one step closer to to running again. I'm one step Mm -hmm. closer to jumping again. I just kept that mindset. And it took took a couple of years. Well, I ran in about about four months, five months. But it was like it was it was ugly. It was ugly. But I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Jumping took, took a little bit longer. But but to get back to full strength was about about a year and a half after That's being told never wow <laughs> you know yeah so. i've learned never to buy into anybody's perception of what what my life should be or could be or yes. will be because it's entirely up to me yep. you know eventually something will strike me down and i'll die one day one day i hope i'm old and decrepit by the time i die and i die in my sleep but it's all what happens in between now and then is under my control yes I, I cannot let, when I start feeling out of control, when I start feeling like, when I start getting angry and having little accidents, you know, I bump my elbow on something or trip and fall mm. or whatever. I, I look around in my life and think, where, where am I angry with myself? And it's almost always because I'm giving it my power to somebody somehow. Yep. 
Yes, yeah, somebody or something. Yes, somebody or something. Some, somebody or something. Whether it's yeah. an employer or a child or your spouse or whatever. So true. And reclaiming Powerful. your power is not a it's not an act of aggression. Reclaiming your power is an act of love. Nope, you, no, no, no. I hated myself for most of my life. For the first 50 years of my life, I loathed myself. And now, oh my God, I'm like a teenage boy. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> Why teenage boy? I do that now. It feels so good to love myself like this because the only reason I can is that I I look at my whole self, not just the parts that that feel good. And I've learned to love myself, warts and all, and mistakes and all, and and forgiveness is such a big part of that. See, and the word I'll give you is emotional command. Oh, tell me more about that. That's what an emotional command. And I can't take credit for it. I had a guest on, Noble Gibbons. He's mm-hmm. the the EQ gangster. He goes, I'm actually going to connect you with him to uh, get on it, get on his show. He's a he's a cool, cool dude. Very, very high energy. You know, great show. But like he and I were talking about emotional intelligence on our episode. And he used that, that word because I call it emotional control. Mm-hmm. He called it emotional command. And I was like, ooh, that just hits better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like that. Like I really, really like that. Yeah. But like what you were saying, when you reach that point, that's what I call it. It's emotional command. Like, like I cannot be shaken by an outside force. You no, know, mm-hmm. people can say what they want to, they can try, I can be stuck in traffic, like is what it is. You know, so you just have to take whatever life gives you and just make it work. Yeah. You know, that's that's what it is. Like, give me a quick one. You know, I want to get to your books before we finish. Right. Is I was at the gym today and one of the guys, he likes heavy metal. Right. I'm not really big into into heavy metal. Some of like the classic 80s or 90s rock I can I can do, but like straight up heavy metal is not my thing. And so one of my women came in for personal training. And so she's doing her, her exercise and I'm kind of humming to the song and she's like, Robert, I didn't think you liked the heavy metal. I was like, I don't, but I'm making lemonade. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's what's on the radio. So I'm trying to find parts of it that I can rock with. And this particular mm-hmm. one, it had a good mm-hmm. beat. So I was bobbing to the beat. <laughs> that's the way to do it. Because life will throw things at you that you can't control. Yes. Like, like um, well, just about anything that happens during the day. Other people impact your life. Other situations impact your life. But you decide how you react to it. Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. So true. I love it. All right. So take me through your, your book writing process. What was the first one? What was your motivation for, for writing it? The first book I wrote in 2008, it's called Neptune's Gift, Discovering Your Inner Ocean. And it's about the spiritual lessons I learned, not religious lessons, spiritual lessons I learned yep. along my journey from where the my illness through where the llama took me. It's an allegorical tale that I got from Tuesdays with Maury. Yeah. Um, the little one paragraph story he shared about the average wave who's afraid because he's going to crash on the shore until he meets yes. a larger wave. He teaches him that he's not a mere wave, but the ocean itself. Well, this book talks about the journey this average wave takes with his mentor wave to the shore and how he goes from being terrified and petr- you know petrified and and uh, shaking to greeting the, sh- the shore with joy. And it's great read for kids, but it's also it's an adult book. But it only takes about 45 minutes to read. So it's a oh, it's nice. a little book. Okay. Um, then next I wrote the Badass Girls Guide, Uncommon Strategies Doubt with Predators for Girls and Women. And then I had grandchildren and I started having nightmares. As much of a badass as I am, 
and I was a Marine and I know my how to defend myself and all of this stuff. As soon as my grandchildren were born, I started having nightmares about every terrible thing happening to them. And I thought, I can't live like this. And so I thought, well, what can I possibly do to protect them? And I thought, well, I'm a writer. I'll write books for the parents about how to teach their kids to protect themselves. Because the parents think, well, nothing will happen. I'll be there to take. No, 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 no. Mm. You cannot always be there. And it's not always, and it's not even healthy for you to always be there. Yes. Parents need to teach their kids how to protect and defend themselves from bullies and cyber bullies and sexual molestation and sex trafficking and all that stuff. So I wrote two books, Badass Parenting and Heroic Parenting, which are the same book, except Heroic Parenting is PG rated and Badass Parenting is not PG rated. Okay. And that's for parents of kids zero to nine. And I'm finishing up now my next book for parents of kids 10 to 18 called uh, The Badass Parents Guide to Predator Proofing Tweens and Teens. Mm. And there's a, and the most important work, thing I've ever written in my life is in that book. It's a chapter on sexual consent. Okay that I, I'm probably going to publish as a single book by itself just because it is so damned important that every kid needs to be taught what's in that chapter. Yeah, I think uh, it was either a guest or two ago we were talking about about that because she was she was um, sexually abused also. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about like doing an entire thing on on consent and why mm-hmm. it's important. Actually, I think it was Rachel. Rachel that Grant. would keep so many girls girls and boys from being abused and would keep so many boys from inadvertently doing something to uh, their partner that their partner doesn't want because they're clueless. They don't know. Yeah. I mean, there are predators out there, but there are also a lot of clueless kids who make mistakes. I agree. And so this chapter is about keeping your child from either becoming a victim or an inadvertent predator. Okay. All right. So what's next for you? Oh my gosh, everything. I don't know. <laughs> Do all the things. I still have more books in me, I'm sure. A lot of travel, spending time with my grandkids. Um, my my favorite thing I do right now, I'm the vice president of Harmony NC LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And we're going to we're working on opening the nation's very first LGBT co-working space. Uh-huh. And right. what that's does that mean? time the bulk of my time. What? So what does that mean? That means it's, you know, what a co-working space, co-working community is, a co-working space where people go and work. They have offices and just pop down in. Okay. This will be geared toward LGBT professionals and business owners and allies. Okay. To use, because it's not always safe for people to go to their workspace and be 100% themselves. And so we're going to give them a safe space to be. Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. Very exciting. So give us some final words and let people know where they can, they can uh, connect with you. Okay, final words would be my secret to happiness. Two two steps to happiness. Step number one is recognize that everyone wants to be happy just like you do. Even though they do crazy things that look counterproductive, they're trying to do it in their search for happiness. And two, do whatever you can to help them achieve their happiness, their genuine happiness. And you will find yourself being happy too because generosity and gratitude are the two biggest, that and kindness, the three biggest, things, you know, the, the three biggest things in my life that have transformed me from being a victim into a thriver. Mm. Love it. And I can be reached at uh, my website is cjscarlet.com and that's cjscarlet, S-C-A-R-L-E-T with one T, not Ms. Scarlet, but Miss Scarlet. <laughs> and, and Your New England accent came out right there. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlet. <laughs> and and my email is cj at cjscarlet.com. So anybody who has questions or comments or wants to, to um, find out anything 
about my books or how to help their child or whatever can reach out to me and I'm happy to respond. Awesome. I believe the links are in the description as well. So when this uploads to all the sites, it'll all, it'll all be there. Thank but you, Robert. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah, this was a great talk. So it was great meeting you. And again, thank you for taking the time to come and share. And uh, when, when we, when we end here, just don't sign off yet, just because I okay. want to go over a couple of things with you. But okay. again, thank you. Wave bye to the audience. Thank you. <laughs> bye, all. All right. I'll see you in a minute. All right. Another great episode for you. So if you tuned in late, make sure you go back and watch the entire thing. And you guys see, with every guest that I bring on, even though it's it's about overcoming obstacles, there's always that one big aha where we were talking about CJ being in her bubble and then just realizing it's up to me to burst it. Hey, that's what I that's what I would like the big takeaway to be from this episode, that no matter what it is you're going through, you got to take the first step. Even if you go to a counselor, you're still taking the first step to make that appointment and go. And once you realize, you know what, just like they told Dorothy in a Wizard of Oz, you had the power all along, my dear. So I got for you. Have a great day. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Next time, shut up and grind.